changed in my life in eight years, as you can look back on your lives and know that there's a lot of things that might have changed in your lives too in the past eight years. The context is the same, but the application for me personally has become different and deeper. And the reason why is because of different trials that we all go through on our daily basis. Um, We look backwards sometimes, and we forget where we are and where we have come. Uh, But God has a way of reminding us of His faithfulness all through those difficult times. So I've entitled this message this morning, Our Almighty God. And as you see in your outline, there's several ways we're going to go through this. We're going to go through it in sections. This psalm is an in-depth psalm that we're just going to take a cursory view this morning and pull out some of the highlights that I think uh, applied to me personally and hopefully will to you as well. One of the most beloved hymns of the faith is, It Is Well With My Soul. It was written by Horatio Spafford. Mr. Spafford, a wealthy businessman in Chicago, lost much of his real estate holdings in the great Chicago fire. After the fire, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to Europe, intending to join them later for a time of rest as well as to assist Moody and Sankey with a revival in Great Britain. But the voyage was struck by disaster, and Spafford received a cable from his wife with the painful message, Saved Alone. Spafford quickly made arrangements to join his wife. When they reached the spot where his daughters had drowned, Spafford marked that sad event with words of hope. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billow roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. When Hudson Taylor was sailing to China to begin his missionary work, his ship was in great danger. The wind had died and the current was carrying them towards sunken reefs, which were close to the islands inhabited by cannibals. So close, they could see the building of fires on the shore for their arrival. Everything they tried was to no avail. In his journal, Taylor recorded what happened next. The captain said to me, Well, we have done everything that we can. A thought occurred to me, and I replied, No, there is one more thing we have not done yet. What is that, he asked. Four of us on board are Christians. Let us each retire to our cabin and agreeing in prayer, asking the Lord to give us immediate breeze. Taylor prayed briefly and then, certain that the answer was coming, went upon the deck and asked the first officer to let down the sails. What would be good of that, he said. And Taylor replied, we have been asking for a wind from God, and it will be coming soon. Within minutes, the wind did begin to blow, and it carried them safely past the reefs. And Taylor later wrote, Thus God encouraged me landing on China's shore to bring every variety of need to him in prayer and to expect that he would honor the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and give the help each emergency required. Another third story here. Samuel Bringle was a worker with the Salvation Army in Boston many years ago. And as he passed by a saloon, some of the men making fun of him, threw a brick at him and hit him in his head. Bringle nearly died. As it was, he spent 18 months in recovery. 
And during that time, he wrote a little book entitled Helps to Holiness, of which thousands of copies were published. After he was able to begin preaching again, people would often thank him for the book, and he would respond by saying, if there had been no little brick, there would have been no little book. His wife saved the brick and had Genesis fifty twenty engraved on it. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Those powerful words were written in the midst of such pain are a reminder to us today that even though we may be enduring great sufferings or hardships, it is not the end of God's plan for us. Sometimes God's children get discouraged because it appears that life is going better for those who are doing wrong than those who are doing well. Yet the end result of both paths are already set. Those who fear God will be able to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. Those who oppose God will quickly find that the end of their path is death and destruction, keeping the end result in mind, helping us keep to do right. This song, Psalm 18, is a song of desperation and deliverance from David, a servant of the Lord. And David uses his scepter, his sword, and his pen to greatly elevate God's kingdom to the people of Israel. It was more of an honor to be God's servant rather than to be Israel's king. The heart of this psalm is a narrative that symbolizes salvation through David's testimony of what God had done for him. He vividly pictured his situation as one of bondage, drowning, or similar miserable and life-threatening circumstances. In his distress, he prayed for help, and then watched as the incredible Almighty God heard his cry, rushed to his aid, and won the battle in an awe-inspiring fashion. God snatched him from danger and set him in a spacious place, both secure and free. God answers, answered David's prayer because he delights in his worshipers. So Psalm 18 goes on to explain what such people are like. David also returned to the theme of God's greatness and mighty perfection and described how God had empowered him to win even more victories. Though David claimed amazing strength and extraordinary speed, he wasn't boasting in himself, but in the God he put his faith in, put his trust in, and put his life in. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Christ, He has the power to rescue you from anything that you're facing. He has the almighty power, a power that goes beyond anything or any strength that you may possess or even think you have. God is much greater than that. As we look at this psalm, I hope that you're encouraged this morning, no matter what trials or whatever you're facing this morning, or have faced, maybe you have a friend, a family member, there's hope. There's encouragement through this psalm. And as it ministered to me over these last eight years, it reminded me of who God is. Not my circumstances, but who God is. The Lord delivered David from all his enemies as he cried out to God. 
Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. We look forward to how you're going to open that, open that up to us. We're grateful, Father, that we have this in our midst to encourage us. That, Father, no matter what people are going through this morning, this applies to all of us. And, Lord, I pray that you would open the doors of their hearts to hear your word, not mine. That, Father, you would minister to those needs in each life that's hearing this. Lord, they would feel your blessing upon their life. That they're not alone, but there is a great power beyond themselves that we call Jesus. So I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, the opening three verses kind of set the theme. As we look at Psalm 18, it starts out, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Verse 1 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Love of God is the first of the two great commandments. It is the principle of all acceptable praise and obedience. And because of His great mercy and grace, our hearts should be overflowing with our love for Him. As David starts his psalm, with what he is going to reveal, he understands God's great grace and mercy. The word love here is a term of deep, tender, intimate love towards God. A personal relationship with His Lord. A description of an intense devotion to God as recorded in John 21, verses 15 through 17, when asking Peter at the end, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And we recall that three times he asks Peter. And at the end, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This love will be the foundation on which David builds this psalm. His recognition and humble acknowledgement of his relationship with God will be the stability he stands on in time of great need and tribulation. David said, I love you to the God who will deliver him, not only for rescuing him from his trial, but for all God did and through those trials to make him what he was. David wasn't bitter against God as if to say, well, it's about time, Lord. Instead, he was grateful that the years of trouble had done something good and necessary in his life to continue to strengthen and build and nurture his faith. Those of us who have experienced trials and tribulations in our lives, whether they be relational or health or financial, can attest to that. That if we surrender those things to God, what a great gift in the midst of that trial that our faith becomes stronger. Secondly, he recognizes God's attributes. David now relates God in military terms, terms that David understands from all his former battles and now in his current circumstances. Let's look at the first one, my rock. When you think of a rock, you think of a firm and established foundation that cannot be moved by anything or anyone. It's immovable. It's established. The word here used is different than the word used for Peter as being a small stone or a pebble. This is the type of rock of salvation which Christ said the church 
upon this rock I will build. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Secondly, my fortress. A location that has been built for safekeeping where the enemy will never enter. A fortification. This term may be used to describe an enclosed city that might have walls as high as 15 to 25 feet and over 25 feet thick, with trenches dug around it, the front of the walls and towers and corners virtually invincible. We may be reminded of the old days when looking at the old castles with moats around them filled with water. It kind of gives us an idea of a fortress or some big castle on a knoll of a hill that is virtually impossible to get there. Then he says, my deliverer, a reassurance of God's protection against complete defeat. David recognizes the Lord is his Savior, his Redeemer, the only one who can rescue him from his enemies. This is the idea of gathering up and being taken away from impending danger. Those of us who have gone through things and have looked at God in that way as a deliverer understand that. By putting sometimes when you get to the place where you're left with nothing other than crying out to God, you see how God reaches down and delivers you from a a trial or a circumstance. He says, also, Lord, you are my strength. A promise of God's power when David will become weakened. It is God's power and might that David will be protected and saved from his enemies. This is not human strength, but supernatural power from the creator of all things. It's the same power that created the heavens and the earth. This same power that parted the Red Sea. This same power that burned the altar of Baal. This same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it is the same power that secures those who believe with an internal inheritance. That's the supernatural power David depended on. Fifthly, he says, my shield, or my buckler as some translations, a protection between health and harm in times of battle. A shield was a defensive part of a soldier's weaponry. It was usually four foot wide by two foot, or four foot tall by two foot wide, and an individual soldier could crouch down behind it and was completely protected from the oncoming arrows. Or as a group, they would come and huddle together, put their shields together, and form a wall or a covering. And they were able to advance. This shield protects the soldier's body. But God's shield protects both body and spirit. As we look in Ephesians 6, Paul uses the same kind of language to a degree when he says, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and the prayer of supplication. Sixthly, the horn of salvation. It's a commitment of strength for victory. Usually a horn was a symbol of a person with power. Teeth and claws represented violence, but the horn presents power. And this word appears some 11 times in the New Testament once in Luke and ten times in the book of Revelation. So then the horn of my salvation is a recognition of God's power to save. And seventh, my stronghold or my high tower. A fortress that can never be moved. Also something 
that has such a grip on us that it paralyzes us, such as in 2 Corinthians 10.4. But in this case, David focuses in on God as his stronghold. His God will paralyze his enemies from overtaking him. In Psalm 9.9, we're reminded, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 144.2 says, He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. And then we look at the repetition. He says in verse 3, I call. Verse 6 says, I called and I cried. David now ends his opening prayer with who he is relying on for his deliverance. He calls on the name of the Lord. The Lord over all circumstances. The Lord over all enemies. The Lord over all His weaknesses. The Lord over all His victories. The Lord over all His life. He alone is the only one to be praised for He is worthy, honorable, sufficient, good, fair, just, and deserving of all our praise. Number two, in verses 4-19, through 19, he exalts the power of God. In his desperation, it says, the cords of death encompass me. The torrents of chaos overwhelm me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confront me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry from his help reached his ears. David now recalls how the forces of his enemies poured in upon him, which he describes in this as the floods of ungodliness or the floods of Belial. As in some translations, the sorrows of shale or death. They were all around him in every side, is the idea. The very reality of death was close at hand. The fight was outside of himself, but the fear was within. His spirit was overwhelmed by the magnitude of his most certain death. I know many of us have, probably most of us in this room, have never faced that consequence of impending death. But in listening to what Veronica had to mention this morning, we see a a bit of that pain and sorrow within those people and what she experiences on a day-to-day basis. But God is still the same, whether for David or there up in Washington. And he's also the same in our lives. David calls upon the Lord in his desperation. He cries out. And he knows it because of who his God is. Have you ever been to a place where you have cried out to God? Where you have got down on your knees and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. I'm being overwhelmed by the circumstances. By the situation at home, at work my finances, whatever it might be. The doctor just told me I've got this particular sickness. And you're left wondering why. As we have read, there is little dependence on himself for this deliverance and a complete focus on God. God's anger was partially exposed in Exodus 19, and someday will be completely released as he returns. But God's anger is pretty descriptive. If we have any question of his wrath, 
we shall now have our answers. And those are found in verses 7 through 15 as we go through it. We look at verse 7. It's the power of God shaking the foundation of the earth. 7b again, the judgment of God. He was angry or wrath against his enemies. Verse 8 says the smoke or the consuming fire. Verse 9, bowing the heavens. He's able to restructure the universe. He rode upon the cherub and flew like the wind. There is no opposition, no obstructions would stand in his way. His coming down with darkness. No one understands God completely. There are parts that are hidden. And no man has ever seen God's complete glory. Remember when the disciples were caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, by his word he spoke and the winds obeyed him. His glory is invincible. His counsel is unchangeable. His actions are measurable. Verses 12 through 15, we see the brightness of his glory is before all that was in turmoil. It will now be at peace. Comfort returns. Circumstances are changed. And what seemed overwhelming has now subsided. The great trials, there's a great deliverance. The Lord begins to reveal himself to David and his enemies as he descends in all his power and over all creation. And it says, The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded, hailstones and coals of fire. He shot his arrows and scattered the foes. He hurled lightning and routed them. The channels of the sea appeared and the foundations of the world were exposed. Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This section here explains how God will rescue his servants. So in Hebrews 13.6, we have confidence that the Lord is my helper. We've heard this, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Verses 16 through 19, we look at his deliverance. Verse 16 says, He reached from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from the powerful enemy and from foes too mighty for me. They confronted me in my day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into the open, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. He reached, he drew, he rescued. David draws a distinction between his God and other gods. His God was personal. Theirs wasn't. They worshiped the creation rather than the creator. David wants to make it very clear that the creation is under complete and total submission to its creator. And it is God who has delivered David from his enemies. In verse 18 and 19, he brought. David realizes how strong the enemy is and in his own strength, he would never be able to defeat them. But he comes back to his opening prayer that God is his support, his rock, his fortress. Creation was uprooted from its foundation for the purpose of delivering God's servant. Why would God do such a great thing? Because he takes pleasure or delights in saving those who serve him. It is his testimony of his faithfulness to those who are his own. In the midst of his troubles, the Lord 
was his refuge. God will not only deliver his people out of their troubles in due time, but will sustain and strengthen them through those troubles in the meantime. Sometimes we get sidetracked because the pain is too great and we want it to end quickly. We put time limits on it because of our humanity. We don't want to suffer like that. And knowing some of you, the different things that we've gone through, God extended that trial for a purpose. Not knowing what that purpose was completely going through that trial, but looking back, totally understanding why God took His time in answering certain prayers. He rescued. God brought David into a spacious place, an expanse of God's love and provision, not because of David's own personal merit, but because of God's great mercy and grace. We owe our salvation in the Son of David, who is Christ alone, in which the Father declared at His baptism, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. In singing this part of the psalm as David would have, he triumphs in God and trusts in Him. His sorrows of death and compass are surrounded him. David, in his distress, he prayed. God heard that prayer and demonstrated his loyalty by exposing his power in a physical way, commanding the creation by his word. David was brought out or rescued into a large place that God had prepared for him through God's mercy and His grace. In the second part of this psalm, verses 20 through 50, we see that God, or David proclaims the equity of God, verses 20 through 29. Here David reflects with comfort upon his own integrity and rejoices in the testimony of his conscience that his motives were pure and sincere, not driven by his own flesh or wisdom. His enemies had misrepresented him, and due to the length of his troubles, he may have himself began to believe his enemies. But when God presented himself in a physical way, David was given credit for his righteousness and confronted by his faith. Verses 20 through 24 tell us, To the faithful... You show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameful. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. For you have saved an afflicted people, but you humble those with haughty eyes. For you, O Lord, light my lamp. My God enlightens my darkness. For in you I can change, or I can charge an army. And with my God, I can scale a wall. In looking at Psalm 19, 7 through 11, we see the privileges and the principles. The law of God is perfect. What is the principle that revives our soul? The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does that do? It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are, are right. What effect does that have? It rejoices our hearts. The command of the Lord is pure. It enlightens our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clear. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. These things are more desired than gold, even fine gold. 
They're sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. Fourthly, he expresses the power of God, verses 30 through 36. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes me perfect. He makes my feet like those of a deer and stations me upon the heights. He trains my hands for battle and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me your shield of salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your gentleness exalts me. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not give way. Verse 30 describes God is our victor. Continuing on, verse 30 through 31, God is our guardian. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. Verse 32, God is our strength. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Verse 33, God is our stability. He makes my feet like those of a deer and stations me upon the heights. Verse 34, God is our provider. He trains my hands for battle and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Verse 35 and 36, God is our defender. You have given me your shield of salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your gentleness exalts me. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not give way. Number five, God expresses his victory. Verses 37 through 42. He says, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I crushed them so they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. You have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued my foes beneath me. You have made my enemies retreat before me. I put an end to those who hated me. They cried for help. But there was no one to save them to the Lord, but he did not give the answer. I ground them as dust in the face of the wind. I trampled them like mud in the streets. Pretty descriptive words of the God that we serve, the Almighty God and the power that he has. And finally, he's encouraged through the process. That's the important point one of the important points this morning is that you be encouraged through the process you're going through. Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, the bottom line is God wants to encourage you through that process. He wants you to see beyond your circumstances. He wants you to recognize the weakness of your faith. He wants you to acknowledge who He is in light of those circumstances. Here, David looks up with a humble and reverent adoration of God's glory and perfection. God has encouraged David that with him, all things are possible. With God, David was sustained. With God, David endured every kind of hardship. And with God, David was victorious. So verses 43 through 45, we see that 
David recognizes God as a ruling God. He says, you have delivered me from the strife of the people. You have made me the head of nations. And people I, have, I had not known shall serve me. When they hear of me, they will obey me. Foreigners cower before me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling from their strongholds. Jeremiah 23, 5 and following says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord of Righteousness. Secondly, verse 46 says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and may the Lord God of my salvation be exalted. David recognizes God as the living God. In John 4, 10-15, Jesus answered this woman at the well, If you knew the gift of God and who sits here saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water I will give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me that water so that I will never be thirsty and have to come here and draw water again. Our God is a living God. Also in verse 47 David recognizes God as an avenging God. It says, The God who avenges me and subdues nations beneath me. 1 Corinthians 15, 25-28 For he must reign until he has put, us, put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, All things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Verse 48, Who delivers me from my enemies? You exalt me above my foes. You rescue me from violent men. God recognizes that God is a delivering God. Psalm 10, or excuse me, Psalm 40, verses 16 and 17 says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help, my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. And finally, in verses 49 and 50, Therefore I will praise you, O God, among the nations, I will sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king. He shows loving devotion to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. God recognizes his God as an almighty God. In the book of Revelations, we are given those verses, several, and I just took down a couple here, 
some are familiar with you, it says, verse, uh, excuse me, Rever- uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 4, 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and the day and night were never to cease. And they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And finally, Revelation twenty-one twenty-two, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What service God has called you to this morning? Whatever it is, He will equip you to do His will. Psalm 18 is a victor's song. A song of gratitude and thanksgiving. A song of acknowledgement and provision. A song of deliverance and endurance. A song of faith and salvation. This is a song to Christ, who is all and much more. God protected his servant and his people from total defeat and suppression. David recognized and realized that in his own strength, he would have been defeated and killed. And at his lowest point, he calls out to God. And God hears his voice and answers it in a mighty way. What battles are you facing today? Even this morning? Are they as big as David's? What struggles are you enduring? Are they ready to overpower you? What circumstances surround you? Are you ready to give up? Are you stressed with fear or uncertainty or the what-ifs of life? As God tended to all of David's needs, how much more will our Lord tend to ours? You may have heard this story, but it's worth repeating in relation to this psalm. There was an only survivor of a shipwreck. He was washed upon a small, uninhabited island. He prayed feverishly for God to rescue him, and every day he scanned the horizon for help, but none seemed forthcoming. Exhausted and tired, he eventually managed to build a little hut out of driftwood to protect himself from the elements and to store his few possessions. But one day, after scavenging for food, he arrived home to find his little hut in flames, the smoke rolling up to the sky. The worst thing possible had happened, he thought. Everything is lost. He was stunned with grief and anger. God, how could you do this to me, he cried. After spending sleepless nights in sorrow, and thinking that the worst has happened. One morning he awoke, early as the sun began to rise, by the sound of a ship's horn. It was approaching the island, 
As unbelieving as it was, this ship had come to rescue him. In his broken, crying voice, he managed to form his words. How did you know I was here? He asked the man who was his rescuer. And the man answered and said, We saw your smoke signal. We changed our course to rescue you. Had it not been for that smoke, we would have kept sailing. It's easy for us to get discouraged sometimes. When things appear to be going badly, we shouldn't lose heart. Because God is at work in our lives, even in the midst of the pain and the suffering. May we be mindful the next time your little hut is burning. It just may be a smoke signal to summons God's grace to our lives. Our almighty God is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our strength, our shield, our salvation, our stronghold. Psalms are filled with encouraging words, with descriptions of God's character and attributes. They are a reminder to us that David never lost sight of where his peace was or in whom he placed his peace. His peace wasn't in the lack of trials, but in the midst of those trials. These very descriptive attributes are also plentiful throughout God's Word. But the best is in the name of Jesus Christ. He is the salvation. He is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our strength, our shield, our salvation, in our stronghold, in Him, we need to put our trust. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for these encouraging words through Your servant David. Thank You for this psalm, Lord, that is um, timeless. In our world today, it's not only us that, we, that suffer, but we see suffering around us. We have words of hope to share. But it all starts with a relationship with You. So I pray, Father, that if there are any here this morning who have yet put their trust and faith in you in a real way, not just intellectually or not just with words, but truly, Father, in a surrender and a repentance of their heart, to turn from themselves, to place themselves at your feet, the foot of the cross that we celebrated this morning in communion for our salvation. So, Lord, I pray that if there's those that are here that are struggling, that God, that you would open their minds and their hearts to the love and the truth of your word. As we have been encouraged through this psalm, Lord, may we leave this place encouraged, no matter what we're facing or will face, that you're the same God today as you were yesterday and will be tomorrow. What an incredible stability that is in our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We give you the praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.